Book Seven, Chapters Three and Four of the Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus, translated by William Whiston, Chapters Three and Four. Chapter Three. How Titus, upon the celebration of his brother's and father's birthdays, had many of the Jews slain. Concerning the danger the Jews were in at Antioch, by means of the transgression and impiety of one Antiochus, a Jew. 1. While Titus was at Caesarea, he solemnized the birthday of his brother Domitian, after a splendid manner, and inflicted a great deal of the punishment intended for the Jews in honor of him for the number of those that were now slain in fighting with the beasts, and were burnt, and fought with one another, exceeded two thousand five hundred. Yet did all this seem to the Romans, when they were thus destroyed ten thousand several ways, to be a punishment beneath their deserts. After this Caesar came to Beritus, which is a city of Phoenicia, and a Roman colony. Footnote. This Beritus was certainly a Roman colony, and has coins extant that witness the same, as Hudson and Spanheim inform us, and footnote, and stayed there a longer time, and exhibited a still more pompous solemnity about his father's birthday, both in the magnificence of the shows and in the other vast expenses he was at in his devices thereto belonging, so that a great multitude of the captives were here destroyed after the same manner as before. 2. It happened also about this time that the Jews who remained at Antioch were under accusations, and in danger of perishing, from the disturbances that were raised against them by the Antiochians. And this both on account of the slanders spread abroad at this time against them, and on account of what pranks they had played not long before, which I am obliged to describe without fail, though briefly, that I may the better connect my narration of future actions with those that went before. 3. For as the Jewish nation is widely dispersed over all the habitable earth among its inhabitants, so it is very much intermingled with Syria by reason of its neighborhood, and had the greatest multitudes in Antioch by reason of the largeness of the city, wherein the kings, after Antiochus, had afforded them a habitation with the most undisturbed tranquillity. For though Antiochus, who was called Epiphanes, laid Jerusalem waste and spoiled the temple, Yet did those that succeeded him in the kingdom restore all the donations that were made of brass to the Jews of Antioch, and dedicated them to their synagogue, and granted them the enjoyment of equal privileges of citizens with the Greeks themselves. And as the succeeding kings treated them after the same manner, they both multiplied to a great number, and adorned their temples gloriously by fine ornaments, and with great magnificence in the use of what had been given them. They also made proselytes of a great many of the Greeks perpetually, and thereby, after a sort, brought them to be a portion of their own body. But about this time, when the present war began, and Vespasian was newly sailed to Syria, and all men had taken up a great hatred against the Jews, then it was that a certain person, whose name was Antiochus, being one of the Jewish nation, and greatly respected on account of his father, who was governor of the Jews at Antioch, came upon the theatre at a time when the people of Antioch were assembled together. Footnote. The Jews at Antioch and Alexandria, the two principal cities in all the east, had allowed them, both by the Macedonians and afterwards by the Romans, a governor of their own, who was exempt from the jurisdiction of the other civil governors. 
He was sometimes barely governor, sometimes ethnarch, and at Alexandria, alabarch as Dr. Hudson takes notice on this place out of Fuller's Miscellanies. They had the like governor or governors allowed them at Babylon under their captivity there, as the history of Susanna implies, End footnote. and became an informer against his father, and accused both him and others that they had resolved to burn the whole city in one night. He also delivered up to them some Jews that were foreigners, as partners in their resolutions. When the people heard this, they could not refrain their passion, but commanded that those who were delivered up to them should have fire brought to burn them, who were accordingly all burnt upon the theatre immediately. They did also fall violently upon the multitude of the Jews, as supposing that by punishing them suddenly they should save their own city. As for Antiochus, he aggravated the rage they were in, and thought to give them a demonstration of his own conversion, armed with his hatred of the Jewish customs, by sacrificing after the manner of the Greeks. He persuaded the rest also to compel them to do the same, because they would by that means discover who they were that had plotted against them, since they would not do so, and when the people of Antioch tried the experiment, some few complied, but those that would not do so were slain. As for Alitachius himself, he obtained soldiers from the Roman commander, and became a severe master over his own citizens not permitting them to rest on the seventh day, but forcing them to do all that they usually did on other days. And to that degree of distress did he reduce them in this matter, that the rest of the seventh day was dissolved not only at Antioch, but the same thing, which took thence its rise, was done in other cities also, in like manner, for some small time. 4. Now after these misfortunes had happened to the Jews at Antioch, a second calamity befell them, the description of which, when we were going about, we premised the account for going. For upon this accident, whereby the four-square market-place was burnt down, as well as the archives, and the place where the public records were preserved, and the royal palaces, and it was not without difficulty that the fire was then put a stop to, which was likely, by the fury wherewith it was carried along, to have gone over the whole city. Antiochus accused the Jews, as the occasion of all the mischief that was done. Now this induced the people of Antioch, who were now under the immediate persuasion, by reason of the disorder they were in, that this calumny was true, and would have been under the same persuasion, even though they had not borne an ill-will at the Jews before, to believe this man's accusation, especially when they considered what had been done before, and this to such a degree, that they all fell violently upon those that were accused, and this, like madmen, in a very furious rage also, even as if they had seen the Jews, in a manner, setting fire themselves to the city. Nor was it without difficulty that one Senius Collegius, the legate, could prevail with them to permit the affairs to be laid before Caesar. For as to Cessnius Pechus, the president of Syria, Vespasian had already sent him away, and so it happened that he was not yet come back thither. But when Collegius had made a careful inquiry into the matter, he found out the truth, and that not one of those Jews that were accused by Antiochus had any hand in it, but that all was done by some vile persons greatly in debt, who supposed that if they could once set fire to the market-place and burn the public records, they should have no further demands made upon them. So the Jews were under great disorder and terror, in the uncertain expectations of what would be the upshot of these accusations against them. 
Chapter 4. How Vespasian was received at Rome, as also how the Germans revolted from the Romans, but were subdued, that the Samaritans overran Mysia, but were compelled to retire to their own country again. 1. And now Titus Caesar, upon the news that was brought him concerning his father, that his coming was much desired by all the Italian cities, and that Rome especially received him with great alacrity and splendor, betook himself to rejoicing, and pleasures to a great degree, as now freed from the solitude that he had been under, after the most agreeable manner. For all men that were in Italy showed their respects to him in their minds before he came thither, as if he were already come, as esteeming the very expectation they had of him to be his real presence, on account of the great desires they had to see him, and because the good will they bore him was entirely free and unconstrained. For it was desirable thing to the Senate, who well remembered the calamities they had undergone in the late changes of their governors, to receive a governor who was adorned with the gravity of old age, and with the highest skill in the actions of war, whose advancement would be, as they knew, for nothing else but for the preservation of those that were to be governed. Moreover, the people had been so harassed by their civil miseries, that they were still more earnest for his coming immediately, as supposing they should then be firmly delivered from their calamities, and believed they should then recover their secure tranquillity and prosperity. And for the soldiery, they had the principal regard to him, for they were chiefly apprised of his great exploits in war, and since they had experienced the want of skill and want of courage in other commanders, they were very desirous to be free from that great shame they had undergone by their means, and heartily wished to receive such a prince as might be a security and an ornament to them. And as this good will to Vespasian was universal, those that enjoyed any remarkable dignities could not have patience enough to stay in Rome but made haste to meet him at a very great distance from it. Nay, indeed, none of the rest could endure the delay of seeing him, but did all pour out of the city in such crowds, and were so universally possessed with the opinion that it was easier and better for them to go out than to stay there, that this was the very first time that the city joyfully perceived itself almost empty of its citizens. For those that stayed within were fewer than those that went out." But as soon as the news was come, that he was hard by, and those that had met him at first related with what good humor he received every one that came to him, then it was that the whole multitude that had remained in the city, with their wives and children, came into the road, and waited for him there. And for those whom he passed by, they made all sorts of acclamations, on account of the joy they had to see him, and the pleasantness of his countenance, and styled him their benefactor and saviour and the only person who was worthy to be ruler of the city of Rome. And now the city was like a temple, full of garlands and sweet odors, nor was it easy for him to come to the royal palace, for the multitude of the people that stood about him, where yet at last he performed his sacrifices of thanksgiving to his household gods for his safe return to the city. The multitude did also betake themselves to feasting, which feast and drink offerings they celebrated by their tribes, and their families, and their neighborhoods, and still prayed God to grant that Vespasian, his sons, and all their posterity, might continue in the Roman government for a very long time, and that his dominion might be preserved from all opposition, 
and this was the manner in which Rome so joyfully received Vespasian, and thence grew immediately into a state of great prosperity. 2. But before this time, and while Vespasian was about Alexandria, and Titus was lying at the siege of Jerusalem, a great multitude of the Germans were in commotion, and tended to rebellion, and as the Gauls in their neighborhood joined with them, they conspired together, and had thereby great hopes of success, and that they should free themselves from the dominion of the Romans. The motives that induced the Germans to this attempt for a revolt, and for beginning the war, were these. In the first place, the nature of the people, which was destitute of just reasonings, and ready to throw themselves rashly into danger upon small hopes. In the next place, the hatred they bore to those that were their governors, while their nation had never been conscious of any subjection to any but to the Romans, and that by compulsion only. Besides these motives, it was the opportunity that now offered itself, which above all the rest prevailed with them so to do. For when they saw the Roman government in a great internal disorder, by the continual changes of its rulers, and understood that every part of the habitable earth under them was in an unsettled and tottering condition, they thought this was the best opportunity that could afford itself for themselves to make a sedition, when the state of the Romans was so ill. Classicus also, and Vitellius, two of their commanders, puffed them up with such hopes. Footnote. This Classicus and Civilis, and Cerealius, are names well known in Tactius, the two former as moving sedition against the Romans, and the last as sent to repress them, by Vespasian just as they are here described in Josephus, which is the case also of Fontellus Agrippa and Rubrius Gallup. But as to the very favorable account presently given of Domitian, particularly as to his designs in his Gallic and German expedition, it is not a little contrary to that in Suetonius. Nor are the reasons unobvious that might occasion this great diversity. Domitian was one of Josephus' patrons, and when he published these books of the Jewish war, was very young, and had hardly begun those wicked practices which rendered him so infamous afterward. While Suetonius seems to have been too young, and too low in life, to receive any remarkable favors from him, as Domitian was certainly very lewd and cruel, and generally hated, when Putonius wrote about him. End footnote. These had, for a long time, been openly desirous of such an innovation, and were induced by the present opportunity to venture upon the declaration of their sentiments. The multitude was also ready, and when these men told them of what they intended to attempt, that news was gladly received by them. So when a great part of the Germans had agreed to rebel, and the rest were no better disposed, Vespasian, as guided by divine providence, sent letters to Petilius Cerealis, who had formerly had the command of Germany, whereby he declared him to have the dignity of consul, and commanded him to take upon him the government of Britain. So he went whither he was ordered to go, and when he was informed of the revolt of the Germans, he fell upon them, as soon as they were gotten together, and put his army in battle array, and slew a great number of them in the fights, and forced them to leave off their madness, and to grow wiser. Nay, he had not befallen thus suddenly upon them on the place, it had not been long, ere they would, however, have been brought to punishment. For as soon as ever the news of the revolt was come to Rome, and Caesar Domitian was made acquainted with it, he made no delay, 
even at his age, when he was exceeding young, but undertook this weighty affair. He had a courageous mind from his father, and had made greater improvements than belonged to such an age. Accordingly he marched against the barbarians immediately, whereupon their hearts failed them, at the very rumor of his approach, and they submitted themselves to him with fear, and thought it a happy thing that they were brought under their old yoke again, without suffering any further mischiefs. When therefore Domitian had settled all the affairs of Gaul in such good order that it would not be easily put into disorder any more, he returned to Rome with honor and glory, as having performed such exploits as were above his age, but worthy of so great a father. 3. At the very same time, with the aforementioned revolt of the Germans, did the bold attempt of the Scythians against the Romans occur. For those Scythians, who are called Sarmatians, being a very numerous people, transported themselves over the Danube into Mysia, without being perceived, after which, by their violence and entirely unexpected assault, they slew a great many of the Romans that guarded the frontiers. And as the consular legate Fontius Agrippa came to meet them, and fought courageously against them, he was slain by them. Then they overran all the region that had been subject to him, tearing and rending everything that fell in their way. But when Vespasian was informed of what had happened, and how Mysia was laid waste, he sent away Rubrius Gallus to punish these Sarmatians, by whose means many of them perished in the battles he fought against them, and that part which escaped fled with fear to their own country. So when this general had put an end to the war, he provided for the future security of the country also. For he placed more and more numerous garrisons in the place, till he made it altogether impossible for the barbarians to pass over the river any more. And thus had this war in Mysia a sudden conclusion. End of Book 7, Chapters 3 and 4 Recording by Katie Riley February 2009